So if you want to flip into Judges chapter 3, we're going to look at one of my personal favorite stories in Scripture. The first time I heard this story was not in a sermon. It was actually from a fellow kid at youth group, and I was like, nah, that's not in the Bible. I know there's some weird stuff in there. I was a 16-year-old. I had read Song of Solomon. Took a few of you a few seconds to get that. That's all right. Don't worry. None of these stories come out of there. Although if someday you want to talk about breasts like antelopes, please don't come talk to me. I don't know. You're going to have to take it up with the author. But I had never heard this story before. Granted, I had never read Judges before. I knew the major stories in Judges, right? Deborah, the female judge. And the man, the, 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 the general told her that no woman could kill this guy. And that a woman did. Or Gideon, right? The man's so terrified and such a coward, he's threshing wheat in a wine press to try to keep it from the Midianites, who uses 300 people to destroy the Midianites, right? Or Samson, the big strong guy who had a thing for hot girls that wanted to cut his hair. Right? We all know those stories in Judges. And most of us will probably know the basis of Judges. Israel does evil in the sight of the Lord. He delivers them in the hands of his enemies. They cry out to him. He delivers the judge who delivers them from the hand of the enemy. Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat throughout all of history. Not just in the time of the judges. But today we're going to talk about a, a judge who doesn't get well known. His story is not as fanciful as Gideon's. It doesn't have quite the, the precautionary tale of Samson. It's not the empowering story of a woman defeating the patriarchy like Deborah. It's just a story of a southpaw and a very fat man. If you don't know what a southpaw is, it's the term used in baseball for a left-handed pitcher. Hence the title, The Southpaw and the Fatty. Let's read it. Judges chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 12 and go down through verse 25. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered to himself the sons of Ammon and Amalek, and he went and defeated Israel, and they possessed the city of the palm trees. The sons of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. But when the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. And the sons of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. Ehud made himself a sword which had two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his cloak. He presented the tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. I want to pause there because twice now we've had just these two short descriptive sentences. Ehud was a left-handed man. Eglon was a very fat man. In scripture, if there's ever just a short descriptive sentence that you're like, wow, that doesn't seem to fit, it's foreshadowing that's going to come up later. So keep your eyes out for it when you're reading scripture as a whole. Let's pick this up. Verse 18. It came about when he had finished presenting the tribute that he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. But he himself turned back from the idols which were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he said, Keep silence, and all who attended him left him. 
Ehud said to him while he came to him, excuse me, verse 20. Ehud came to him while he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. Ehud stretched out his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. The handle also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw the sword out of his belly, and the refuse came out. Then Ehud went out into the vestibule and shut the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. When he had gone out, his servants came and looked, and behold, the doors of the roof chamber were locked. And they said, he is only relieving himself in the cool room. They waited until they became anxious, and behold, he did not open the doors of the roof chamber. Therefore, they took the key and opened them, and behold, their master had fallen to the floor dead. Let's talk about this great story. Number one in your note sheets there, it's not an isolated incident. I couldn't think of the word to make fill in the blank there, so there isn't one. Not an isolated incident. Twice in the first verse, what does he say? Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Again they did it. This is going to be a pattern throughout all of history. Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now it's our turn. We do evil in the sight of the Lord. He generally deals with us in a much different way than he dealt with Israel because we now live in the era of grace. We'll talk about that some other time. But the fact of the matter is that Israel continuously does evil in the sight of the Lord. He protects them. He delivers them. They have a boon for a little bit of, yes, God is great. And then the next generation takes power that does not know what the previous generation did or does not remember it, and they do evil in the sight of the Lord. That's the way that it works. And church, you and I are in the same boat. I know because I've talked to enough old people. You all look at young people and go, how can they make these mistakes? I got news for you. You did it too when you were 20. I have a good friend who was doing some student teaching with some middle schoolers. And he said this sentence to me one day. Oh, these middle schoolers are horrible. We weren't nearly this bad when we were in middle school. <laughs> Sir, I think you have a skewed idea of what we were like in middle school. Talk to anybody that knew you in middle school. The moral of the story is middle schoolers aren't great. Just kidding. I love middle schoolers, but man, they're tough to deal with. Each new generation does the same thing the previous generation did. It might be a different method, but it's the same thing. And Israel did it time and time and time and time again. And we do the same thing. We like to look back at Israel and go, man, you had God right there with you all the time. He lived in your midst in the temple or in the tabernacle, depending on which point in history. You had Moses who came down from a mountain with two stones inscribed by God. How could you make the same mistake again and again? And church, you have a whole freaking book written by him. And we make the same mistakes again and again and again. Never think you're better. You're just different. We can learn from that lesson. We can learn, don't make the same mistakes. Don't again and again and again do evil in the sight of the Lord. Or when you do evil in the sight of the Lord, go, okay, I was disciplined for this. I'm not doing that again. I'm going to make enough other mistakes that I'm not going to make this one again. Number two on your note sheets there, though. Number two, God delivers. God delivers. 
So for 18 years, they're in the hands of King Eglon, the king of the Moabites. And Israel cries out to God, and God raises a deliverer for them. God does not turn a blind eye to you and your suffering. He never has. He never will. That does not mean that everything's going to be hunky-dory. A lot of people know this verse. For some people, it's your favorite verse, and it's an incredible promise in Scripture, right? Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. It is a beautiful verse, a promise from God. Where was Israel? Spending 50 years in Babylon. He did not remove them from Babylon. Because what happened to Israel after the 50 years in Babylon? They spent time in Persia. And it wasn't until Nehemiah that Israel started to go back to Israel. The fact of the matter is, God does not turn a blind eye to our suffering, but he also, as any good parent does, realizes that sometimes you need to do a little suffering to learn the lesson. That sometimes you need to take your hands off and the training wheels off and say, go, I'm right here, but you need to do this. Or you set yourself up for this, and I'm going to allow you to be in it. The other incredible thing about these first couple verses, though, is, does God just randomly decide to deliver Israel? What was the catalyst? Israel cried out to him. Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, and Israel again cried out to him. Church, it does not matter how far you think you have gone, he's standing behind you waiting for you to cry out to him. Doesn't matter how far down the road you've gone. You've wanted to run away from him. It doesn't matter how many evil things you have done, how many sins you committed. It doesn't matter because he's still there and waiting for you to cry out and say, God, I need a deliverer. And he's right there. Always keep that in mind because Satan is going to tell you, you've gone too far. This sin, that was one sin too far. God doesn't care about you anymore. Like heck he doesn't. He went to the cross for you. You think you can run far enough away? I wanted to point out those few things before we really talk about the crux of this story. So number one there was not an isolated incident. Number two, God delivers. Number three now, and the real crux of this, mysterious ways. How many of you have heard the saying, oh, God works in mysterious ways? Put your hand up. Yeah. God works in mysterious ways. Usually that's the saying when you don't understand something that's happening and some person in the pew next to you just goes, it's mysterious ways. It's mysterious. You don't get it. It's okay. like it if they were a little less mysterious. Not just God, but the person next to me. Pause. One of my favorite, I love jokes and memes and stuff like that. One of my favorite things is God works in mysterious ways. You don't have to. Use your turn signals. <laughs> I think it's great. So mysterious ways, but the fact of the matter is that God does work in ways we don't get. 
in ways that we look at and go, what? That doesn't make any sense. So let's set the stage for the story. Ehud is a left-handed man from the tribe of Benjamin. How many of you in this room right now are left-handed? I know of one. Okay. Four. I got four. That's awesome. What's that going to be? 10%? It's less than. There's not 40 of us in here. It's like 5 6%. It was even less back then of the population, left-handed people. Why is it important that he's left-handed? Because so few people were left-handed that when you went in to see a ruler, they did not check the right side of your body. They checked the left side of your body. Why? You ever try to draw a sword from this side? You can't quite get it out unless it's only this long. You draw from the other side. So they check the left side of your body, but not the right. So Ehud, he raises up Ehud from the tribe of Benjamin, which elsewhere we read in Scripture in, uh, I believe it's First Chronicles. The tribe of Benjamin was mainly left-handed, or at the very least, ambidextrous. It says that 20,000 people came from the tribe of Benjamin, warriors, that could wield a sword in either hand. So at the very least, God made a whole tribe of people in his nation that could do this. He makes a sword, a cubit in length. There's about eight different ideas for what a cubit was. The most common was the royal or Roman, which was about the length of the forearm. I have about the normal height of a person from that time. I'm short today. Back then, I would have been normal height. So it's about this long, this blade. Puts it on his right hip and takes a tribute to King Inglon, the very fat man. I've always been overweight. I've always been a stocky sort of guy. That's the build that I have. I could stand to lose, like if I could, if I suck it in a little bit and stand up straight, I look decent enough. I can also go like this. The Bible doesn't usually give descriptors like this because the fact of the matter is, Ehud is not fat. Ehud is massive. It says, or not Ehud, excuse me, Eglon. Eglon is massive because it says that Ehud comes up draws the sword from his right hip, remember, about this long, sticks it in his belly, and this guy's fat rolls close around it. Do you know how big you've got to be for that to happen? The other thing that tells us about how hefty this gentleman was, was that he must have eaten a lot, because he must have taken some absolutely epic poops. Because when they see the doors closed and he's been in there a while, his servants just go, he's taking a crap. This isn't abnormal. It's not until they're like, man, he's really been in there a long time. Maybe we should check. It must not have been abnormal for him to have been in the bathroom for a very long time. And this is the story of how God delivers Israel from the fat guy. So let's break it down a little bit. God uses the way he created you for the things he wants you to do. God gave you talents, 
God gave you gifts. God gave you abilities. God made Ehud from the tribe of Benjamin a left-handed man. Because God understood the culture. He knew exactly what he was doing. So oftentimes, we want to be used in other ways, right? We look and we go, excuse me, we look and we go, wow, that person can sing, I wish I could do that. Or, wow, that person is such an incredible artist, I wish I could do that. Or, wow, that person is so smart, I wish I could be like them. Why? God made you the way he wanted you made for an exact purpose. We never read about Ehud again. That's not true. There's another couple verses after this that say he escaped. Okay? But in the whole of Scripture, he's never even mentioned again. He's got 10, 15 verses in Judges. One moment in this guy's life. And God used him. God wants to use you. But you have to be willing. Ehud didn't go, God, I'm a left-hander. How am I supposed to do anything? When I have to write, I smudge it. He didn't make excuses. He went, I, and he makes a sword and puts it on his right hip. Don't make excuses for God or to God. He created you the way he wants you made. In the way he wanted it done. So that at some point, maybe multiple points throughout your life, but at least at some point, he's going to use you the way he made you. Your talents, your gifts, your abilities, all of it. Exactly the way he wants to. And he's going to get the glory for it. You see, we can read the story is it really glorifying that Ehud was left-handed? Is that something we should glorify him for? Sorry to the four or five of you that are left-handed. You probably had your time in school. I don't know about you, but when in, in school, when I was in school, if you saw somebody who was left-handed, the first thing you did was go, oh, are you left-handed? Like it really matters. Can't help it, exactly. It's not glorifying to him, to Ehud, that he was left-handed. Or that he knew how to make a sword that was a cubit in length. The fact of the matter is, God said, I'm going to use you. And use you to deliver my people from the hands of the enemy. Just the same as he used them walking around of some walls 13 times to take Jericho. Or he used Gideon and 300 lamps and trumpets to defeat a massive Midianite army. Pick your favorite story in scripture. All of them is God or our God using the people he created in the way he created them to do what he wanted them to do. A couple of takeaways before we're, we're out of here. Just a couple more minutes. Number one, Never think God needs you. He does not. Always realize God wants you because he does. He needs you for nothing. Could he have delivered Israel from the hands of the Moabites without Ehud? You bet he could. He didn't want to. 
always remember that you can run back to him. All you have to do is turn around and cry out. He is right there. That does not mean every situation is going to go perfectly. That does not mean there won't be consequences for the actions you have taken. But he is still right there waiting to be the deliverer. And when God works in mysterious ways in your life, because he's going to, give him the glory anyway. Stop questioning him and go, okay, God, you told me to do this. I'll do it. The Southpaw and the Fatty, week one of weird stories in the Bible. I always liked it because it says this guy was so fat. I always thought that was funny. Next week, we're going to look at another one. I haven't decided which one. I have three more. We have three more left. I haven't decided which one. Maybe we'll put up a poll. Just kidding. I'll look at the list and go, all right, God, which one are we doing this week? But I decided to start with my favorite. As a 16-year-old, I just thought it was a funny story. As a soon-to-be 27-year-old, I realized that God is talking to us through it. Let him use you exactly as he made you. Don't try to be like somebody else. Be the man or woman God made you to be. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you this morning and thank you that we can come together and worship you. I want to thank you that you give us stories in the Bible like Ehud, funny stories or awkward stories or weird stories that we can laugh at, but that we also learn from. God, I pray that you help us to realize you made us a specific way and you want us to be that way. You want us to have the talents and gifts and abilities you've given to us and you want to use us. You don't need us, but you want us. And how amazing is that? Father, we ask for uh, just an incredible week for all of us. Give us opportunities to be a united body and give us opportunities to preach the gospel everywhere we go. Father, it's in the name of your son we pray, amen and amen.